the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together, as always. Important things happening all across America. We've got to cover them here today. And remember, this segment of the radio program and the podcast, we call it the Wink, What You Need to Know, W-Y-N-K, What You Need to Know. It's modeled on, or the name is used in our daily email, which goes out. If you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can sign up for a daily email. And also go to, Pro, uh, excuse me, proamericareport.com, and you can sign up there. I have a sub stack that I am going to, I promise, be writing more long form there. I'm um, trying to get to something today to post there on January 6th and the anniversary, three years since January 6th. But I'm going to talk about that later on in the program. Right now, what you need to know on the, here on the Pro-America Report, what I want to talk about is the growing um, fraud, the growing journalistic fraud, and watching it happen. And I just, I think it's important to keep coming back to this. I call it the narrative machine, right? The narrative machine is actually four components now. I've clarified it. It's big government, right, working with big media, working with big tech and working with big business. The four have an interest in what's called the narrative and what they put out there as the narrative in order to what? Increase their power, increase their profits, increase their access to power and profits. So one of the great ways to watch this, I really recommend this, is the use of Politico. Politico Politico.com is a website. It was started as an online journal. It's been around for about a decade, maybe 14 years, something like that. And um, and they cover lots of politics. And they've been purchased. I think they were purchased by a big German uh, businessman, a conglomerate, media conglomerate. I forget the name of it. It doesn't matter. Uh, It's dominated by what I would call the educated left. The educated left, the professional, the elite left, educated at all the right places, all the highbrow places and 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 uh, coming up through and in and out. They go from Politico to the Washington Post, back from uh, uh, Washington Post to Politico. They go out to the New York Times. They come back and forth. But if you if you sign up for a couple of things, one, I sign up for an email that I get from Politico.eu. 
Politico.eu is the European version of Politico owned by them, controlled by them, overlapping with them. And they'll send an email out, a daily email that goes out at about four in the morning, East Coast time, American time. And so it's probably what, uh, nine o'clock in the morning in, in Brussels or wherever they're launching this from. But it gives you their, it gives you their uh, kind of rundown. It's kind of like their version of the wink. Uh, like I, my wink every morning at 8 a.m., the email goes out Monday through Friday and you get a message, um, you know, a couple of links, a couple of key points points, usually one driving message, what you need to know. Anyway, so Politico sends this out and, and today's message. So the, the message that's going out late in the week, the first week of 2024 is all this. Oh, my gosh. Democracy is in peril in the world's bonanza year for elections. And when you read this essay, it's by a guy named uh, Nicholas. I think it's Nicholas. Nicholas might not be. Yeah, Nicholas Vinokur. Vinokur. He writes in Europe a lot. He goes through this litany and he's talking all about Putin and they talks about Trump and he talks about this and that. What he doesn't talk about is the people who are in power. He doesn't talk about any. If you're worried about democracy, don't you think it's important that, say, Zelensky canceled the elections, that Zelensky eliminated parties and talking about Ukraine? Or doesn't it? Don't you think it matters that the, the conduct of the the if democracy is at a tipping point, does it matter that in America, we have a, a, a presidency, an executive branch that has decided to unilaterally open the border using. I'm not saying that they're, it's completely lawless. I think it is lawless, but I think I'm not saying they use the, the guys. They use the the uh, sheen of of uh, a process to say that they're doing something legal. They're not. And and my my point on this is that the talking, the the the, the rhetoric around this idea of democracy is on the ballot. It's just a talking point of the left. In Europe, they're using it. Why? Because in Europe, they're seeing a rise in people, democracy, wanting their nation and wanting, quote unquote, nationalism, meaning they don't want to see France become uh, northern Africa in terms of their culture. They don't want to see Italy become, you know, uh, dominated by a foreign uh, uh, visitors at, or foreign invaders, if you like the term. But and so the, the rise in the polls of people in Europe who are concerned about their culture, their nation, their community is considered a far right. And the threat is that these people who have opinions, and I thought under democracy have a right to express them, that they might express them in the polls. And that the polling right now shows that the European elections, which take place in three or four months, maybe it's five months, early May, maybe, that those elections will be dominated by more success, not complete success, not not majorities, but more success from so-called far-right nationalist groups. And somehow Donald Trump, Donald Trump, who's not in office, who talks about putting America first, they, they write in these sentences and this Van Cord guy, it's, it's, it's the, excuse me, in these paragraphs, it's the fifth paragraph, maybe it's the sixth, U.S. President Donald Trump is threatening to weaponize Democrat institutions against his political rivals. What does that mean? What's the example? There's no examples. They just say they don't like him. And, and they think that maybe he won't like NATO. He won't like America pumping billions and billions of dollars, a, a ceasing Donald Trump saying, hey, we're not going to pump billions and billions of dollars into Europe, NATO and the EU without having some sort of relationship to our benefit. And then they do the old trick. Daniel Kellerman, professor of public policy at Georgetown University, is quoted repeatedly about his deep concerns, his threats, his I mean, his his ideas of threats, his worries 
as if he's someone authoritative. He's a professor at Georgetown. He, he, he's on the I'm sure he's on the uh, speed dial for uh, uh, Vanacour, this uh, this uh, uh, journalist. They're probably all pals. They probably went to school together. And they're but they're talking as if he's authoritative. As if his opinion, one opinion, and his opinion, of course, is Trump is bad. European Union uh, voters getting conservative. So here's another one. Yesterday, the the campaign manager for for Joe Biden in the run up to the anniversary of January 6th, she wrote this. Not even during the Civil War did insurrectionists breach our capital, said Julie Rodriguez, manager of uh, Biden's reelection campaign. But at the urging of Donald Trump, insurrectionists on January 6th, 2021 did. Now, that's just a lie. That's a lie in multiple levels that there's not there was not an insurrection. It's never been uh, proven, alleged. It's a legal term. And even uh, one of the I saw this post on Twitter, um, uh, Zayed Zilani, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, is the one who he's written uh, all over the place. And he says this rhetoric is getting over the top. People have been arrested for disorderly conduct in the U.S. Capitol for decades. There was more than one bombing in Capitol buildings back in the day. This was this meaning January 6th was not worse than the Civil War in any way. Here's my point. The rhetoric is going through the roof, but the the effort to build out the support for the rhetoric, you can see it now. Go check out. Go read Mike Benz and hear about how he he'll show you how they lay this out. Another essay, Politico, again, watching Politico, that uh, a report historians meet with Biden for a White House lunch. Okay, every president has this really cool thing. You call them up, people up and say, hey, come to lunch and you get everybody to come. Really cool, right? I mean, it's you can meet really interesting people. You can learn a lot. You can have experts in. It's really cool. I remember I had a small taste of this when I was chief of staff to the governor in Missouri. And one time I was talking about um, whether there was some way that we could help farmers who were transitioning their uh, farms into different things. Sometimes they were changing from crops to uh, to animals. And, and and I said, is there something we could do with um, uh, uh, farm buildings? You know, some way that you could help because they're expensive to fix and they were run run down a lot of times. And lo and behold, like two weeks later, there was a guy in my office and he was a professor of architecture at Mizzou. And one of the guys on our staff had called up to Mizzou and said, is there anybody that knows uh, any uh, has any expertise on farm buildings? This guy was an expert on that. And I had this great two hour conversation. There wasn't anything to do. Uh, There was no program that could be implemented. But you learn a lot. So Joe Biden gets a meeting with these historians. And now the historians are uh, a couple from Princeton, somebody from Harvard, you know, all at Yale. And then here we go. Boston College is Heather Cox Richardson, who, as I've told you over and over again, she is the main person that they trot out. She's very popular on Substack. She teaches at Boston College. I don't my close read of her. She's like every a lot of other uh, professors, impressive enough in the sense that she gets to spend her time reading all day, but not particularly groundbreaking insights. But what her big insight is, is she's totally wrapped in Trump derangement syndrome and that the biggest threat that she's ever seen in American history is Donald Trump, who lost an election and left office, who is running for election, playing the game according to the, the rules of democracy. And yet he's the great threat. Here's my point. What you need to know. We're watching this incredible effort to lie about what's going on, but in such a sophisticated way with such a narrative machine with big government, 
That's Biden and his team, big media, that's Politico and others and all the cable news, big tech. You can see it everywhere, whether it's from Substack and Heather Cox Richardson or any of the other ones. You see this messaging and then big corporations who I just want to know who to have to who they have to play power towards. What you need to know is this uh, effort to lie to us is happening systematically. And we're going to keep pointing out more and more of the problems with it. So all right, we got to take a break. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So uh, you, you watch her. If you're smart, you're watching her over at the on the war room. She's often whenever Bannon needs a break, I guess he's getting old. Don't tell him I said that. But he uh, uh, you will see Natalie Winters, who is uh, a journalist, uh, host on the program, but also is, uh, as I just was saying, offline to her. Uh, I think very creative in this moment about um, communicating uh, what's going on and what, you know, real Americans think and feel and so now she's launching a, um, a a fashion line. I guess I'm going to say it right. And so, first of all, welcome, Natalie, to the program. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me back. It is an honor to be with you. Well, it's it's really nice. So tell me about this. First of all, um, uh, you know, you're, you got, you're busy as can be. I mean, you're <laughs> you're doing a lot of content creation. How what made you go do this? What is it? it's called? She's so right is the uh, is the line, I guess. Of, is that the best way to describe it? Tell me how you got here, what what you think and, and what, how you're going to make it. Work. Yeah. She's so right. Dot co, dot co. Right. Co is yes. the website. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell us about this, though. Yes, you are right. I'm very busy in the war room and as an investigative reporter. And that is, of course, my first priority. But I am just just like you, addicted to having purpose and doing meaningful things. And the strap line of the war room is action, action, action. And so much of my reporting is focused on our reliance on the Chinese Communist Party, how that is by design, because they've infiltrated this country to leave us reliant on them. We've outsourced our manufacturing to them. And I felt bad. I just ethically, morally supporting clothing companies as someone who's very fashion-oriented and fashion-minded, all of these brands that not just didn't stand for the same values that I did, frankly, think because I believe uh, political certain things that, you know, I should be thrown in jail, I shouldn't be allowed to have access to certain banking platforms, um, that I just felt bad continuing to give these people my money. And I didn't really see an opportunity specifically for women who wanted to break free of sort of that that corporate system that's propped up, of course, by slave labor, uh, that's propping up the Chinese Communist Party. Um, I didn't really see a USA-made alternative to that that was actually affordable because so often USA made brands, as I'm sure you know, you pay a a really ridiculous premium. So I set out like I always do to do everything myself. I kept it all in house and I managed to design a really fun, feminine, flattering uh, line of apparel, hats, totes, stickers, you name it. um, That's all USA made. That is actually affordable. It's actually a, a sustainable business model. And I don't use that in the sense that the left uses it. And the other reason, and I'm sure the women who are listening to your show can feel the same pain in my closet, I have so many fun political t-shirts, fun designs, but they're all done on, you know, boxy men's t-shirts and they're not very flattering, <laughs> right? And we're the side that knows there's a difference between men and women. So I wanted to put women in silhouettes that are actually flattering and cut and designed for them. So she's so right.co, all of our designs, they're fun, they're pink, they're actually made for women. 
Well, and so, and we're talking uh, right now. We, we're talking with Natalie Winters about uh, this line. Uh, uh, she's so right.co. The main tagline, I think it's so smart, proudly made in the USA, just like you. And then there's everything from uh, t shirts, hats, totes, all kinds of things. Now, when you say you went and did this yourself, um, do you, I mean, I know like I, I, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself or aging myself <laughs> or doing my something. I mean, did you just say, all right, I want this, 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 and this based on stuff you'd seen other places and somebody puts it together? I mean, did you have some people in this industry? It's kind of a it's it's I mean, I, th- I really like you and how you've grown from being an investigative reporter to being a personality, a, a, you know, a, a profile. But this is just interesting to me how you got here. It has been some of the most rewarding and fun times that I have ever had in my life. And I've been, been blessed to work alongside some really brilliant people on the political side of things. But, you know, I honestly did this entirely by myself. I'm from Los Angeles, so I've always been fashion oriented, honestly. I thought that I was going to be a corporate attorney for, you know, a big fashion house growing up, but evidently my path took a different direction (laughs) and I'm so blessed and so glad that it, that it did. But, you know, as I was going around shopping, I just saw so many graphic tees, which is kind of the, the focus of our style not just promoting values that I think are at odds with what we stand for. And I'm not just, you know, talking about like the pride month stuff, but I also just think a missed opportunity for the moment in in history and in time that we're in right now, you know, shirts that just say, you know, XOXO on them. So a lot of the slogans, I think what's unique about the brand and where I had so much fun doing it is they're sort of subtle, right? They're not so in your face. For example, some of our our designs are, they say low social credit score or misinformation spelled (laughs) M-I-S-S information, more insecure than the border. Uh, Don't tread on me pretty, please. So I think the how I was able to to keep it just with me without any experts. You know, we don't trust the experts on the war room or right. she's so right. Um, but it was just really kind of fusing the two worlds that I've always straddled, which have been, you know, fashion conscious, health and wellness, kind of Los Angeles world, but with not just conservative politics, but people who think for themselves and go against the mainstream. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm 22. It's sort of an, an interesting and rare fusion in my age demographic, right, to kind of be in both of those worlds so right. that as i think what the clothing line represents don't get me wrong it's for women of of all ages um but it's just it's just fun and i think we could always use some more pink in our lives Maybe not <laughs> you, yeah man i'm just gonna say i'm not I'll, I'll believe it when i see bannon you know throw on the like the you know a pink hat but uh now listen natalie winters me you made you, you made in my head i i stopped in the middle because you mentioned being a lawyer and then i realized um you know in the last day or so you broke this story about um, about the uh, the Biden lawyers, Bur- Burisma. I, you know, I, I don't before they did it to General Flynn. Very few people would have understood or even heard about FARA, uh, this uh, Foreign Agent Registration Act. Uh, but tell us about this story that you're breaking uh, that is out there and uh, what you found. I always joke that I am probably the American who visits the Farrah website the most. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the only non-bot uh, that frequents Farrah.org. Oh, that's funny. Um, but it's the Foreign Agent Registration Act filings, and this really is a bombshell story. I can't underscore it. Fashion, and she's so right, um, aside, basically, Cravath, which is a, a criminal defense firm, 
basically the top one in the United States, um, was representing Burisma, that Ukrainian oil and gas giant that was paying Hunter Biden, you know, all said and done millions of dollars. This is kind of the centerpiece of the Ukrainian corruption scandal with the Biden family. And they retroactively registered late last night with FARA for the activities that they were doing in 2016, basically trying to prevent a White House investigation into the, the company, into Burisma for any corruption um, and corrupt business dealings. And for people who have followed the hard drive saga and Hunter Biden's even public business affairs, that is the exact same thing that Hunter Biden was doing. So we obviously know Hunter Biden violated Farah. Of course, it's just a question of which country you want to make the case on China, Ukraine, uh, Russia, you name it. But in this case, the fact that this law firm is registering now, what is it, eight years after the fact of doing the work shows you two things. One, case closed, Hunter Biden violated FARA, but also shows you that I think the establishment is getting really scared for these impeachment inquiries that are going to start ramping up. No conspiracies, no coincidences on the timing here when you see the subpoenas starting to fly for Hunter Biden and his associates. And what's also interesting and buried in this FARA filing, which you can go to my Twitter and read it, it shows who this law firm got meetings with within the then Obama administration. And one name on there that people should recall is Marie Yovanovitch. She was one of the key anti-Trump witnesses during impeachment. And there are also some people on there that they met with who now have very high level positions within the current Biden regime um, on energy policy, on stuff that's affecting Ukraine. So when people like to say that Hunter Biden, you know, his business deals, the left wing you know, media likes to say, oh, they're just attacking Hunter Biden. He's a poor drug addict. You know, that whole narrative. It's not true. There are lasting ramifications and national security implications for the policies and business deals that Hunter Biden pursued that we are seeing play out currently, whether it's on the green energy stuff or the Ukraine war. We're, uh, Natalie Winters, our guest again, and at Natalie G. Winters on uh, social media on X. You can see her. She's co-host of the Steve Bannon's War Room and founder of a, a shop at Shop She's So Right. Also on X, Natalie G. Winters. you got to put the G in there because there's other Natalie Winters around. <laughs> again, uh, to highlight, uh, if you want to check out her clothing line, uh, it's at she's so right dot co dot co. Uh, that's a great story. Look, I, I think the only thing I've just got about a minute left. The only problem is um, they're going to register and no one's going to no one's going to do anything to them right they're going to they're going to move on and and they're just they're banking on the fact that okay we'll play along i do think it means they're paying attention i just at this point there's no one that thinks it's uh real accountability is coming but but i do think um you know a change in administration maybe a change in the senate uh as well as uh, how we've seen the house turnover brings a different kind of accountability down the line i hope I hope, too. I think we're laying a good legal groundwork and investigative Mm -hmm. groundwork to move forward on these charges. But Congress needs to do a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Natalie Winters, thank you. The best thing about having someone like Natalie Winters on when I told her I have a minute left, she knows exactly what that means. So she just did a short (laughs) answer. If you saw that there. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Keep us informed on the uh, clothing line. We'll put it up on social media. Uh, Again, she's so right. Dot co. Natalie Winters. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. Uh, Natalie, she's very good, very good at this. She's really young and uh, but already so experienced and so good at uh, uh, communicating and and exciting. So we'll put all that up on social media and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Mark Mix, he's the president of the National Right to Work Committee. Uh, 2.8 million members in that public policy organization. One of the more extraordinary successes over the last 30 or 40 years. He's also the president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. And uh, Mark, welcome back. How are you? Ed, I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, and yeah. uh, glad to be with you. Thank you, thank you. Before we get to some of the uh, uh, some of the stuff that we were seeing about uh, the senators and the, the Democrat senators threatening automakers, what do you make when you see the Teamsters president going to meet with Trump? Uh, I know we're early in the process in terms of the primary and all, but it it it's something of a signal. Can you read the tea leaves more for me? Yeah, well, you know, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That's uh, wisdom from from history. (laughs) And frankly, the Teamsters have played footsies with with Republican candidates for president going back decades, as you remember, Ed, obviously. Not that you're that old, but uh, but historic. I know you know history. And so this is a this is a classic example of of kind of Lucy in the football where Teamster union officials, uh, Jackie Presser, no matter who it was, would go to a Republican president and say, hey, you know, we're on your team. We might endorse you. The fact of the matter is, is that Trump and his people, if they fall for this, are missing the dramatic chasm between union officials and rank and file workers. The fact that Sean O'Brien, the Teamster president, who's a, you know, a thug from Boston, Massachusetts, and and there's plenty of evidence to indicate that, is speaking for the rest of the Teamsters and and all those people. It's just not true. I mean, the Teamsters, the rank and file workers, believe in the agenda that President Trump brought to the table in 2016. They will support his agenda in 2020. And I can tell you this, I highly doubt the Teamster unions will be endorsing president, right. uh, president uh, candidate for President Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as you say, it, part of it is uh, Lucy with the football. I mean, that seems to me to be the best thing to say. Is a, But on the other hand, it also it, in, in a world where you have such a weak uh, Democrat president and front runner, there's more room for making some noise. And, 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 and you know, it's a part of the creation here. I, I tell people all the time is making space for people to uh, be able to have the positions that are best for them, public policy positions or, or political. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times they can't even get that space. I mean, that's again, we're talking with Mark Mix, who uh, your long career, National Rights Work Committee. Part of that is giving people a chance to be not be silenced in the workplace. I mean, it, it is uh, extraordinary. All right. Thirty three U.S. senators sent a letter on behalf of the United Auto Workers uh, to non-union automakers urging them to remain neutral. Now, why does why, I guess other than being bullies, why do why does anybody care what 33 senators are, are saying if you're if you're one of those companies? Yeah, well, because there's a whole bunch of taxpayer money at stake under the so-called Inflation Reduction Act for right. quote clean energy policies. This is all about the electric vehicle transition. And if if you're Ford and you're building a six billion dollar blue oval city in Memphis, Tennessee, which happens to be a right to work state, uh, those politicians from Michigan and and the non right to work states want to convince you that you ought to have a neutrality agreement when it comes to unionizing workers in those right to work states. I mean, all of the CEOs that are mentioned in this letter are running manufacturing manufacturing facilities in the right to work states where the choice you made the point at earlier, the choice is whether or not workers will choose voluntarily to join and financially support a labor union. What these senators want is they want to put a finger on the scale and say, look, if you're interested in any federal money to help you build out your new EV transition automobiles that are really stinkers, apparently, um, then you're going to need to provide minimum standards. Well, you should provide minimum standards. I'm using my finger quotes here, Ed. It's important. I can't see each other. But you should you 
should have a neutrality agreement as the minimum standard for how you're going to look at unionization of the workers of your facilities. Well, one of the reasons why these employers went to right to work states is because it's dramatically different to organize workers in a state where you can force them to pay union dues immediately upon them voting for unionization in a non right to work state. But in a right to work state, you have to convince those workers to support you financially. So they want the federal government, the UAW wants these 33 senators to basically put their thumb on the scale saying, if you want any of this federal money for electric vehicle transition, then you're probably going to need to have these conditions. And one of those conditions at, at a minimum is a neutrality agreement where you agree not to say anything about unionization to your employees, whether it's good news or bad news, you shouldn't speak to your employees at all about bringing in a third party to the relationship you have. Uh, Mark Mix again is our guest, and 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 Mark um, is and he's the president of the National Right to Work Committee, and uh, and uh, one of the websites you can learn more about the work that they do is nr excuse me nrtw.org. Um, Mark, it, are these neutrality agreements? Um, are they are they legally binding? Is this basically a way to uh, if you take one of these deals and you're one, in a right to work stake, you're basically if if you gained. 50 yards on the field by having right to work, you're given back 25 yards. And then are you bound to it? Can they, I mean, these enforceable things is, I mean, cause if it's enforceable, it's, it's a lot worse than it sounds. I mean, it's a bigger deal than it sounds. Yeah. Well, the neutrality agreement, as they are portrayed, are a gentleman's agreement, if you will. Can I say that anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you, yeah. You, you correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. here. But anyway, you know, generally, I don't think they're legally enforceable because we actually litigated a case that went to the U.S. Supreme Court. We argued a case about basically companies are not allowed to give unions things of value to convince them. And boy, oh, boy, should we recognize this with United Auto Workers, because, you know, one of the things that employers won't be able to tell their employees is that 14 top executives from the UAW went to jail for stealing union dues just two years ago. I mean, so that kind of information you think would be useful to an employee saying, hey, I want these people to represent me when they still, you know, their former past two former presidents were in jail for stealing money and embezzling and and racketeering and these types of things that are criminal. And that comes as a result of compulsory unionism. So what they are basically is they're saying, if you want to participate in the in the federal distribution of this taxpayer money for EV transition, you probably should have this in place. If you don't have it, you know, you we just made it bypass your application for the money. So I think it's more bribery in the sense of of the federal government and the senator saying, look, we're not going to improve any money to you unless or approve, excuse me, any money to you unless you agree to these terms. Whether that's binding or not, is another question. I suspect like Elon Musk, he probably won't agree to this. And and, you know, he speaks for himself publicly, but Tesla's done a pretty good job of surviving without it. And I think these other companies will, too. But if we're going to be forced to transition to electric vehicles by 2032 or whatever that date is out there, um, this is pretty important because that that infrastructure has to be built. And why not take money from the taxpayers if you can get it? If you're you know, one of these automobile companies is going to build an EV factory or an assembly factory in a right to work state. Uh, Mark Mix is our guest. Um, and uh, Mark, I agree. Um, the only thing I wonder about it, we're talking about the situation where U.S. senators are banding together and pressuring companies uh, that are in existing states like Tennessee, where they have right to work and they have a certain set of operating rules that they probably move to that state to undertake. Um, one aspect of this that makes me 
somewhat hopeful. There's a lot of them, right? 13 non-union automakers. Sometimes, if it was two and the pressure could be ramped up, it feel you know just on these two, it feels like maybe they'll resist. What's the is 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 the is the facts of life though? What, what I'm missing, Mark, that the money's too important. If you're a flailing company, I think of some of the you know American makers. But if you're flailing to do this uh, transit transition to uh, EV vehicles because electric vehicles because it just doesn't work it's not working uh, financially then any any port in a storm i mean is that the is that is that probably is that the reality that we're worried about I think so, Ed, and that's a great point. I, you know, we have one case study, I think, that came out of Atlanta, Georgia. It was a bus company. I think it was Bluebird Bus Company building electric buses. And they were a non-union facility in a right-to-work state. And they put in a bid for to build electric buses. And the Department of Energy, I think, controlled that money. Basically said there was a billion-dollar contract out there for electric buses. But we would encourage you to be unionized. And so they had a union vote and the union won narrowly down there. I think it was maybe, well, I shouldn't say narrow, but they won. And, and, you know, the unions touted as a huge election victory. But the fact is that billion dollars probably wouldn't have come to them contractually to build those buses if they hadn't had a union certification drive. And so that's exactly what's going to happen here. Your point is spot on. It's kind of this, quote, inducement. And if you need the money, like I said, why not take it if it's offered? If all you have to do is zipper your mouth and say nothing about unionization, Obviously, the trouble begins after that, of course. But yeah, yeah, well, and I'm reminded I'm reminded of one. I think it was the Walmart effect, a book where they talked about how a number of mayors in the 1960s and 70s kept increasing pension benefits in their in their Democrat run cities because they knew that the bill would come due after they were gone. And and if you're some of these CEOs of these uh, of these companies, you're saying to yourself, yeah, if it buys me a couple of years, I'll be out of here. And and I think that kind of uh, impact is also a factor. Well, Mark. Mark Mix, as always, appreciate you very much being out there on, on the front lines of this. Mark Mix, of course, is the president of the National Right to Work Committee, 2.8 million, almost 3 million members in that public policy organization. You hear a lot about the NRA and other groups. It's an amazing uh, number of people that care about these issues and understand them at National Right to Work Committee. Uh, National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation is also, he's the president of that. I'll put up on social media a link to their website, nrtw.org. You can find out more. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and come right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The National Science Foundation's Directorate for Technology, Innovation and Partnerships is a branch of government that gives grants to companies and organizations to promote technological innovation in the United States. This is taxpayer money, and it should be going towards projects that benefit the well-being of all Americans. However, it is instead going towards AI projects that censor free speech. Between 2018 and 2022, the National Science Foundation gave $1.2 million to the Massachusetts-based Automated Controversy Detection, Inc., for a project titled A Controversy Detection Signal for Finance. According to the company's LinkedIn profile, the company is a, quote, NSF-backed company that aims to make online communication more productive and less dangerous. Their website states that they use, quote, state-of-the-art machine learning algorithms to stop the spread of misinformation online. 
The goal of this project, underwritten by our tax dollars, is to develop technology that can, quote, automatically detect controversy and disinformation, providing a means for financial institutions to reduce risk exposure. Cutting through the corporate tech speak, what this means for us is that the government is funding a project that will search the Internet for misinformation, which is liberal speak for any news that makes liberals look bad. And they will try to ensure that anyone posting this supposed misinformation cannot get any funding. This project is an obvious and brazen attack on our constitutional right to free speech. Artificial intelligence is a very powerful tool, and it is worrying and wrong that the government would promote the use of AI to potentially silence American citizens and conservative voices. If the NSF is going to fund any artificial intelligence projects, it should fund projects that do not have a clear political bias. ChatGPT, the AI chatbot that took the world by storm last year, has been shown to have many anti-conservative biases. AI should not pigeonhole the user into the liberal point of view. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When big tech billionaires silence conservative voices on social media, the very core of American liberty vanishes. It's happening, and it's a slippery slope. At phyllisschlafly.com, we have a plan for protecting free speech. It starts with you. Please go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have um, been thinking about uh, how to talk about uh, January 6th and the anniversary, and I decided just to do it in this last segment in a more slightly more uh, somber way. Um, uh, you know, there, I'll be um, um, in, I'll be at um, an event in New Jersey uh, over the weekend uh, on January 6th, the day of uh, participating with some families there. Uh, Will Pope, who is um, on uh, X the X platform as at uh, will free state. I think that's right. At will free state or free state will at free state. will. I better check that and tell you, but uh, will Pope has said he's one of the best on a lot of these things. And he said, you know, um, do, do, do yourself a favor. And uh, uh, if you are going to um, go to something for, uh, for um, uh, January 6th, be smart, you know, be smart and don't uh, do and free state will at free state will is him will Pope. Don't do anything dumb. Like don't go to play. Don't go to Washington, D.C. Don't don't do counter protesting. Some people were going to counter protest the speech that Joe Biden's doing. Do some things that are about uh, the families that you care about, the people you care about. That's what we're going to be doing. But I did want to highlight this. Uh, this past week, I had two different spaces uh, sessions on the X platform. The spaces spaces are this kind of open forum that you can do by uh, video, uh, audio uh, kind of call in. And they're very uh, they're very effective. They're uh, very cool. I, I like doing them a lot, uh, mostly because it's kind of a group conversation. It's not video, which video often brings a different kind of pressure on on participants and um, and things like that. So. Anyway, but the star of the two this week that was on Tuesday and Thursday night uh, by design was Rachel Powell. And Rachel Powell is the woman that you probably have heard about. She was variously had nicknames from the media. Um, she's from Pennsylvania. She's, I think, in her mid 40s now. 
She's the mother of eight, uh, grandmother, I think, of five or six children. And she was convicted on nine counts in a trial in July uh, for her role in uh, in January 6th, which she has talked a lot about and said she, uh, you know, apologizes for and feels shame about. She did break a window. She got carried away and then she admits that. Uh, but she was sentenced to 57 months in federal prison, 57 months. And one thing I want to say is NBC News reported this story, one of the stories that I pulled up. And they said she, you know, woman who uh, uh, played this significant role, which is just not true. I mean, she certainly got out of got out of hand, which she's admitted. Um, but they said she she sentenced to over four years in prison. Fifty seven months is just shy of five years. Five years would be 60 months. It, 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 you know, four, four years and one month, which would be 49 months, you'd say, well, just a, a little bit more than four years. To say that 57 months, it's a way to minimize things. It's a, because it's a scandal. It's a scandal that the, a woman like this, not a threat, not a violent uh, you know, recidivist, not someone who's had a record of this, that she's going to jail for this long, away from her family, away from her kids. It's insane. And the idea, that's the perfect thing to tell you, and then I'll stop being so fired up. The perfect thing to tell you about how wrong this is, is how it's reported by NBC, saying that the headlines saying, uh, you know, sentenced to more than four years, more than four years, just shy of five years. You liars. So but here's what I wanted to tell you. Listening to Rachel Powell and her daughter uh, made a comment at one point, uh, nice kid, seven years old, I think. Um, and listening to Rachel, you realize that um, people can um, can get through anything. Which, you know, if you read people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn and his writings, um, you know, he was in the prison for a very long time and, and on the Soviets, under the Soviets, he was a dissident. And um, so there's lots of there's lots of examples in history. But to hear a person, Rachel Powell, who I've, you know, I guess I haven't met her um I don't know if I've met her in person. I don't think so, because she's been on house arrest. She's had to wear this uh, wear this bracelet and all. But I've met her family and uh, and I've heard her speak a lot and I've listened to her. And you realize that people are hopeful. People are good. People are um, especially that are blessed with family are in a position where they can get through anything. And the the lesson for me is the people who have family and friends doesn't have to be your blood relatives only. It can be your family from, you know, relationships. It can be your friends. But we need other people to get us through things. One of the reasons I'm driving a bunch of hours to get to this event uh, that's happening on January 6th itself uh, in New Jersey is because it will be in the presence. There'll be a bunch of the families, a number of the families of January 6th uh, defendants and, and convicts uh, there. And there's something about the I guess it's called solidarity. That's the phrase you can use. The the solidarity of being together, being present in each other's uh, uh, midst. And that makes a huge difference. And Rachel Powell uh, has inspired me in that way and others I know from the, uh, the spaces call after we did the finished our spaces meeting, uh, people would text me and direct message me, uh, through the X platform and say, man, that's powerful. And so I guess my point here is on January 6th, there's a lot of things wrong. A lot of things. 
the way the justice system is being implemented, how the a certain of the people in this system are acting, the prosecutors, the judges, some deeply, deeply worrying, deeply hurtful, angry, hateful stuff that's going on. And we got to worry about it. We got to change it. We got to fight back. We got to never let up. But part of it is to learn the lessons. Part of this whole thing is to learn the lessons that we can uh, from the suffering that we see and feel ourselves. And that's one of the things Rachel Powell has done is taught me especially, and I think others, uh, to appreciate this n- notion of solidarity and family. It's one of the reasons why when you hear her say she's reporting to to, jail, to prison next week, uh, you can feel the 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 heartbreak in the separation that she has to go through because she is such an example of someone you can take um she was on house arrest for months and months and months for years. And, but she's with her family. Uh, and even when she misses events, you hear her talk about missing events with her family. She still has her core, uh, family that she can be with. So it's an inspiration. And I hope that, uh, on January 6th, there'll be more, uh, positive lessons learned, uh, from people as they have a chance to be with, uh, those that they love and to build the relationships. And so thank you, uh, to Rachel Powell for what she did. And God bless America. And we'll be back, um, uh, tomorrow, back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.